Good morning, everybody. This is Jeff B. from Frederick, Maryland, and this is the Daily Reflection Podcast. We have to act our way into a better way of thinking. We can't think our way into a better way of acting. Every day is a day that I get up and and ask God to relieve me of my alcoholism. So the first new dimension that I got was just a better relationship with my children, and now they're, they're in my life. Welcome to the Daily Reflection Podcast. My name is Michael Lynn from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And I'm Lee McGinnis from Leesburg, Virginia. As members of the recovery community, we created this podcast as a way to provide experience, strength, and hope through the lens of the Daily Reflection book. Each day, we interview members of the recovery community in the hope that their experience may provide inspiration. We value inclusion and diversity, and we really want to provide a platform for all the voices of recovery. We aren't affiliated with any 12-step or recovery program, but you may hear these mentioned throughout the course of an interview. Hey, before we get to the show, I'd like to ask a favor. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, it'd be great if you could leave us a comment or a rating. This is going to do a couple of things. It's going to help us expand our reach and improve the show. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks so much to Jeff Bain, Frederick Maryland for editing services. Appreciate your help. So today is April 25th. And before I tell you who's in the studio today, I want to shout out uh, to Johnny F. Jr., who originally was our guest for this daily reflection. And we goofed, Mike, and we lost the audio file. Okay, so you're being generously. I want to I wanna take ownership on this one. I'm not sure exactly what I did, but I'm pretty sure I deleted the episode inadvertently. And I want to apologize to Johnny and, um, and let him know we're going to schedule and, and get him back in. We're definitely going to get him back in. So at the last minute, our team member, audio editor, Jeff B. from Frederick, Maryland, agreed to step up and help us record the episode for today. And again, it's April 25th, and the daily reflection for today is entitled Entering a New Dimension, and Jeff is going to be sharing experience, strength, and hope around that. Thank you, Jeff, for stepping up at the last minute. Fantastic. No problem. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you so much, Jeff. Well, we get started uh, with the guest reading the daily reflection for the day. Jeff, would you help us get started? Absolutely. Entering a new dimension. In the late stages of our drinking, the will to resist had fled. Yet when we admit complete defeat and when we become entirely ready to try AA principles, our obsession leaves us and we enter a new dimension. Freedom under God as we understand him. That's from As Bill Sees at page 283. I am fortunate to be among the ones who have had this awesome transformation in my life. When I entered the doors of AA, alone and desperate, I'd been beaten into willingness to believe anything I heard. One of the things I heard was, this could be your last hangover, or you can keep going round and round. The man who said this obviously was a whole lot better off than I. I like the idea of admitting defeat, and I've been free ever since. My heart heard what my mind never could. Being powerless over alcohol is no big deal. I'm free and I'm grateful. So good. Thank you so much for reading, Jeff. And thank you for coming back. That you're this is your second time on the show. And before we get started, would you just remind us what your sobriety date is? Uh, January 30th of 1984, by the grace of God. So as you read this, what comes to mind for you right off the bat? The first thing that came to mind was my first real sponsor. I had an unreal sponsor uh, before him. The unreal sponsor was the cool guy. He had he was the one wearing the concho belt and all the black clothes and and a cowboy hat and the, uh, the the hat band around it and sitting with all the chicks, you know. And uh, he had what I wanted, which was sitting with all the chicks. 
so he was my first sponsor, but he was not a good sponsor. He later drank and had a car accident in which someone died. And uh, that was devastating to me at about six months of sobriety. So my first real sponsor was a guy who said, Jeff, if you're willing to do all the work that's required for this, I'll go to hell for you. But if you're not willing, you'll have to go all by yourself. And that's the first thing that came to mind when I was when I was thinking about this particular reading. Tell us a little bit about what a new dimension means for you. Oh, man, it's. The very, okay, here's the new dimension to me is my relationship with my family and my children because uh, I was I was not a good I was not a good parent. I did uh, the kinds of I was excessively cruel to them basically emotionally and physically. My oldest two were three and five years old when I got sober, and it still took a while for me to change. And when I was reminded that, that I had to make amends to my children, the first thing I said was, well, they were very young and they don't remember. And my sponsor said, problem is, Jeff, you do. And it was affecting our, our relationships. So I made amends to my uh, son when he was 12 and my daughter when she was 13. Out of that, our relationships began to change. I'm sorry that I held on as long as I did. They were, it was seven years before I started making, started making amends to my children. But when I did, our ability to move on without rancor was immediately apparent. So the first new dimension that I got was just a better relationship with my children. And now they're, you know, they're 39 and 41, 30, 40 and 42. I don't know. I'm not, I don't want to give away too much. They're in my life. And I, my youngest son is also in my life. He was born in sobriety. But all of, all of those kids are in my life. And that's a direct result of this new dimension. Uh, I never imagined something I never imagined. That's wonderful. Um, the reflection says, I am fortunate to be among the ones who have had this awesome transformation in my life. And I see that in your story, talking about your relationship with your children. Um, but then the next line says, when I entered the doors of AA alone and desperate, I had been beaten into a willingness to believe anything I heard. Can you talk to us about what it was like when you first came in? And what made you even willing to think about making amends to your children? I was a hard case. I, I went through a rehab. I, I suffered from intellectual egotism. And I, I did think I was one of the people who talks about in the big book who thought my, on my uh, intellect, I could float above the crowd. And I really, really didn't believe that I needed to do everything that was outlined in the books until I was miserable. There was a two and a half year period in my early sobriety where I didn't do any work. I just went to meetings and had friends in the program, but I wasn't getting the benefits because I wasn't doing the work. So when we talk about, and let's take a look at it, beaten into willingness, I was, I was beaten into better willingness after coming into AA and watching people get better faster than I was. And how did I wind up here suffering without a drink? Well, I was a dry drunk as well how I wound up there. And until I started working the steps and, and seeking the relief that came from the steps, I just, I didn't get, I didn't get the benefits of this program until then. So I've been beaten into willingness to believe anything I heard came late for me because I, uh, I was terminally unique, which uh, for those who aren't familiar with the phrase, my, my sponsor, like I say, I finally got a real sponsor. And my sponsor explained to me, terminally unique, you're so special, Jeff, you're going to die rather than get this program. And that, that scared me. I mean, that is a scary thing. 
and especially, you know, for, for folks that are in the program and maybe not experiencing the, the benefits, full entire benefits, separation from alcohol for me today is really just one of the, the minor things. Like I don't think about alcohol anymore, uh, but it's really the, the peace of mind and serenity I get from, you know, practicing the principles and getting out of my own, my own head space. But, but the, the reflection talks about remembering that last drunk, this could be your last hangover. Do you still remember what it was like when you were drinking? Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> well, I was a rock and roll roadie and my life was just like they, they show in uh, what's that uh, almost famous. I was to me, that was living the dream. I had, uh, I had dropped out of college uh, because I uh, had gotten my, my knees injured and couldn't play football anymore. And I was a scholarship ball player. And, and when I couldn't play anymore, I had no focus. So the music industry was my other focus, uh, always had been. I went into that full bore. My last drunks were uh, big glasses, like the 20-ounce glasses for iced tea full of Jack Daniels with like a one ice cube so I didn't dilute the effect. And I would drink that nightly, stuff like that, and then, you know, chase it with beer and stuff like that. And I would pass out in front of the television and I'd sleep three hours and shake awake about th uh, three, four hours into the night, shake awake and shot down a couple of quick uh, gulps of Listerine because one, it made me feel better. And two, I thought I was masking something. But I tell you, Listerine is 40 proof. And I was drinking that stuff, uh, a bottle a, a week in, in my morning so that I could pretend that I was, uh, you know, being sanitary or something. I don't know. So my last drunks were really miserable sitting in front of the television, not wanting to go to bed because my wife would smell it on my breath and I didn't want to hear from her. So I'd fall asleep sitting on the floor with my back against the couch while the religious programs came on about how they were going to save me. And I, and I didn't have the clicker, so I couldn't change me. I'd just pass out. And my very last drink was at a corporate event. And it was two glasses of Asti Spumanti because I wanted to prove something to myself. So I remember my last drink, you know, that was 37 years ago. I remember 37 and change. I, it was, and I remember my last drink, two glasses of Asti Spumanti at a corporate event because I had made a fool of myself drunkenly at a previous corporate event and I didn't want to have a repeat of that. So I was really trying to keep the lid on it. And two days later, I went into rehab and um, my sobriety date starts from the uh, day after those, those two drinks of Asti Spumanti. I started with Boone's Farm and ended with Asti Spumani. I don't know what happened in between. <laughs> I can almost feel the misery of trying to only drink two glasses of Asti Spumanti when what you really wanted was a big, tall iced tea glass full of Jack Daniels. You betcha. The book says, I liked the idea of admitting defeat and I've been free ever since. My heart heard what my mind never could. Being powerless over alcohol is no big deal. I'm free and I'm grateful. Talk to us about what it's like today, in addition to the beautiful relationships you now have with your family. What does free and grateful look like for you today? You know, that's a, that's, that's a great question. And it's probably longer than the uh, scope of this podcast, because it goes on and on and on. But I did not feel grateful or happy to, to, uh, to surrender. I, I, I surrendered I was like one of those guys uh, you know, on the Japanese islands after uh, World War II. It was still hiding out in 1978. Uh, <clears throat> you're going to fight for the emperor, and I was going to fight for my right to uh, control my life as I saw it. So it wasn't a grateful or happy surrender at first. I heard a story from a guy 
who I deeply respect. He's passed away now, but he he talked about during the first Gulf War, seeing the uh, Iraqi soldiers throw down their arms and hold up their hands and get in line and march away. And he said, that's that's what surrender looks like for us. I didn't do it quite that easily. I really fought the idea of surrender. I, I was going to make I was going to let God be the God of my alcoholism. I'd take care of everything else. What it looks like now, because eventually I worked the steps and I came to a place where God is first in my life. My relationship with my higher power is is everything that I would want to be as a father is what I have with my own higher power, who I choose to call God. The idea that God loves me was something that was slow in coming, but it was made clear when when my sponsor explained to he asked me if I loved my children. I said, yes, I do. And he said, God loves you like that times a million. And I began to get, that's when I began to get some freedom. When I began to accept that God really loved me, there was nothing I could have done to earn God's love. I had to just accept it. It was always there. I couldn't accept it because I didn't think I deserved it. Even though I was sober, I didn't think I deserved it because I'd led Oh, such a crap life in terms of my children were concerned. I had been an embezzler. I'd been a lot of things. And, and all of a sudden, this idea that God loved me and it was okay to let him and to accept that, that was the freedom that I got. That's, that's where it started to come true for me. It's also, I did not get what they talk about uh, sometimes in the big book. And you hear mentioned, you know, the burden of laying down the, uh, the fourth step by doing our fifth step. I didn't get relief from that. I still felt like somebody was going to use that against me and blackmail me. It was not about the, the trustability of my sponsor. It was about my fear. But when I started doing the ninth step, and making those amends, you know, like I talked about earlier about making amends to my children. Why well, delayed the the benefits of that for seven years? So, but when I started making amends to my children and making amends to the people I had hurt, and going all the way back to Indianapolis from where I lived in Pennsylvania, to the headquarters of the company I'd worked for and from whom I had um, done dirt, let's just say, you know, seven years later, and I went back and made amends for mismanaging and and uh, abusing the privileges of my management position. Those things began to generate the freedom. I was obviously not in a hurry. And I was allowed to, my sponsor said, how long you want to chew on that dry old stick? And referring to me to a, like a dog who's just going to gnaw, it's not even a bone. I'm, I'm gnawing on a stick because I was holding on to my right to be me and not to turn my will and my life over and not to do all, the, uh, all that was suggested in, in the, uh, the ninth step. And when he pointed these things out to me is when I began to realize that I had a lot of changes to make besides just putting down the drink. So, Jeff, what you're talking about is a spiritual awakening. You know, that's I've experienced that as part of my recovery. And for me, it meant really looking for evidence of, of some higher power working in my life. Tell us a little bit about how that how that changed for you and, and how you started to define or conceive of this higher power working for you. Well, as I've already mentioned, I uh, I was going to hang on to my control of everything and, except the alcohol, and I was going to give that to God, and and that wasn't working real well. I was pretty miserable trying it that way. I had entered AA with a deep resistance to the idea of a higher power or God or any, you know, I thought every time they used higher power, creative intelligence, creative mind, universal intelligence, or God, I, I knew what they were talking about, and I, I've you're not going to fool me with that crap. That's literally how I thought. 
So I made a telephone pole outside of my first home group in Indianapolis. My That was my higher power. It was a telephone pole. And after a few months of that being my higher power, the old timers in the meeting uh, came to me and said, listen, Jeff, we have bad news. They're going to widen the road. and They're going to take out your higher power. And they started me on a trip to look for a better higher power. And I made it the group for a while, you know, good orderly direction, group of drunks. Uh, I just made it my alcoholic uh, home group for a while. But eventually that wasn't enough either. I couldn't get by on just the fellowship and the friendship and the people. I had to find something higher, bigger, stronger. Uh, A guy I I like, he said, you know, I, I couldn't have a 22 caliber God. I needed a 50 caliber God. I could not turn my will in my life over to something that was small enough that I could understand it. And it was a long process, much longer than it needed to be because of that earlier, you know, thinking that uh, intellectual egotism that, that I thought uh, I could think my way out of drinking. We have to act our way into a better way of thinking. We can't think our way into a better way of acting. So when I started to look around at the people who are really getting better, First of all, I realized that they were telling me the truth when they said, yeah, we're working the steps. I thought, yeah, sure. You read them on the thing just like I did. And that's as far as I went. I read them on the wall. I saw them there. I didn't open a book and find them. I didn't realize that if they're only only on the wall, I have no set of instructions to go with them. So I had to get into the big book and start to read the big book and start to digest what it meant and find a sponsor to take me through it so that I didn't misinterpret. Uh, my mind wants to tell me what I want to hear. And I couldn't afford to have somebody, I, I, I couldn't afford to have myself be my own sponsor. You know, that's the ism, myself and me, I sponsor myself. I had to find somebody who told me the truth. And I, I found a guy who kicked me in the butt and told me what we we're going to do. By doing what he said, and I liked, I think it was Alex who said, just follow the directions. One of our podcasts from earlier in the week, he said, just follow the directions. And I thought about that a lot because I did not want to follow the directions. I wanted to do it myself, my own way. And until I followed the directions, I didn't get the results that are promised. I wasn't drinking. I hadn't had a drink. I didn't really think much about a drink, but I wasn't changing. And because I wasn't changing, I wasn't happy. And because I wasn't happy, I was not as safe as I could be from return to drinking. You know, there's Every day is a day that I get up and, and ask God to relieve me of my alcoholism first thing in the morning. Hit my knees and ask God to relieve me of my alcoholism and to bless me today as he's blessed me every day of my life. Because I know that even in the worst of my drinking days, God was blessing me because I lived and I didn't necessarily deserve to. Just want to thank you as we wrap up today. Uh, thank you so much for your service. You and I happen to share the same home group and you step up in service all the time there. You stepped up in service to help us make sure that we can continue to deliver this podcast on a daily basis. And um, you stepped up in service here today, um, willing to help us uh, and, you know, talk about the daily reflection for today. So thank you, Jeff, for all of your service. I'm so grateful that you made it out of active addiction and into this beautiful transformational life of recovery it is that thank you so much jeff my pleasure glad to be here glad to be of service thanks so much for listening if you want to find us online you can follow us on facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash daily reflection podcast you can find us on twitter at daily reflector you can read stories of recovery from our community 
at blog.dailyreflectionpodcast.com. Please don't forget to give us a rating on your podcast app. We greatly appreciate it. This podcast was produced by Lee McGinnis and Michael Lynn. Editing services by Jeff Bame.